Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with the leaders behind direct-to-consumer footwear brand, Sarah Flint, founder and creative director, Sarah Flint, and CEO, Mary Beach. When I think of Sarah Flint, I think of fabulous and very comfortable heels, but according to NPD, sales of high heels were down more than 70% in 2020. So I wanted to ask Sarah and Mary about the pandemic's impact on their business and their ability to shift gears to match shoppers' changing demands. A welcome to you, Sarah. Thank you, Jill. Hi, and welcome, Mary. Hi. Hi, how are you? Thank you both for being here. So, Mary, I know that you are a newer addition to the Sarah Flint team. Let's start with you, Sarah. Tell me what was, um, gosh, what made you decide I need to bring in a CEO, somebody else to help me run this business? Yeah. So, like so many founders, I found that as we grew bigger and bigger, that I spent less and less time on the elements of what I loved so much about the brand. I had much less time to innovate, work on product, far less time with customers. And uh, one of the things that a, a mentor of mine taught me early on was that you should know the things that you're good at, as well as the things that you need more help with. And I found that as we scaled, while I was great with the big ideas and being scrappy. There were really a lot of processes that needed to be put into place, not my strong suit. And we were growing to a point where I really wanted to have someone within the team who had done this before, who had built this kind of a business in the past. And um, I met Mary in, I guess, Mary, that was... 2019. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Holiday 2019. And Lucky Mary joined us um, about a week before we went to work from home. Oh, my gosh. I thought so. It was March, April time period. Mary, what attracted you to Sarah Flint? You come from Kate Spade, CMO, EVP, probably more of a corporate structure. <laughs> um, yeah. What was the draw? When I left Kate Spade, I was looking for a brand uh, that was responding to all the changes in consumer behavior that I was seeing. When you're in the marketing role, you see what customers are doing. And honestly, I thought that meant leaving fashion. I thought I would be taking a detour into a new category uh, of business. And then I met Sarah and I realized Sarah Flint is the brand in the fashion space that is responding to the changes in consumer behavior. And not just doing it once, she kept doing it. She, Sarah looks at where the hockey puck is going. She definitely is always questioning the status quo. So she had asked, why do luxury shoes have to be uncomfortable? And she addressed that. And then she asked, why are they only made for dress up occasions and not for the everyday? Why do they have to be sold at wholesale when I see all my friends, uh, you know, shopping direct to consumer? And then there were just some really practical things that I think being in corporate America, as you spoke to, were important to me. Um, Sarah Flint enjoys incredible customer loyalty. 50% of our customers come back for a second purchase within two years. Like that was amazing to me as a marketer. Um, we have a really high lifetime value, uh, strong underlying business metrics. So it, it all just made sense. And then lastly, uh, I've been at um, some of the best lifestyle brands out there. I feel so proud to have an opportunity, have had an opportunity to work at places like Ralph Lauren and Kate Spade. And I saw that Sarah has what it takes to be the next great American lifestyle brand. So I thought I have to be there. Uh, small or not, I have to be there. 
Yes, definitely want to dig into what it means to be a lifestyle brand. I know there's been some category expansion, but I definitely want to focus on Sarah, I always think of you when I think of the pivot to direct to consumer. I feel like you were one of the early players that did that. And I feel like that probably set you up for uh, a more successful 2020. How would you describe that, I guess, the benefit of already being there? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I really feel like the last 12 months have moved us sort of faster towards a business model that we've spent, you know, the last few years perfecting, you know, whether that be a movement away from wholesale, a focus on digital, um, a focus on sort of, you know, fewer, better things and sustainability, direct conversations with your customer, um, you know, seasonless design, 80% of our uh, collection is core. Um, And then, of course, you know, a, a dislike of waste producing business models, that has all become just so much at the forefront of what people are thinking about and talking about today. And, you know, when I look at, of course, I have a lot of, of friends in the fashion industry. And um, when I look at the ones that are are still at, at wholesale, it obviously has been a really, really big challenge in this last year um, with canceled orders and things like that. We were able to move quite quickly. Tell me, Mary, the opportunity that you saw. You mentioned lifestyle. First of all, I'm bouncing between y'all, but um, Sarah, <laughs> is that a goal? Was that a goal before Mary came on board? I want to be a lifestyle brand. I want to do more than shoes. Yeah, I, that was has always been a goal for me since the beginning. I've sort of envisioned not just a product, but a world that um, that, that product lives in and you know who our customer is and where she is in every facet of her life, whether it be luxury footwear or home or silk scarves. Um, and I honestly thought that was something that would come a lot later down the road. Um, you know, Mary, with her background in, I'll let her speak more to this, but when she started at Kate Spade, it was primarily handbag business, and she um, got to build out a lot of those product category verticals. And, you know, this year, as we looked at where people were spending time, what they were doing, um, a lot of time on Zoom, as you can imagine, um, one of the categories we had thought about early on was silk scarves. Um, I had inherited all of these amazing Hermes scarves from my grandmother that I would wear on Instagram, and people would always ask me where to get them. And um, and the answer was always, well, these ones are vintage, they're from Hermes, they don't make them anymore, and now they're about $800 to buy. So um, that just felt like such a natural, obvious fit. We already had relationships with the mills that were making uh, silk scarves for these incredible brands. And so it was real a real opportunity to um, sort of redefine that category um, from a luxury perspective, both uh, from design and from price point. So, you know, in a time when everyone is very focused on, you know, the the upper upper half of their body, that was a, a really um, a meaningful launch for us. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mary, tell me road to lifestyle brand. I mean, <laughs> is that something that you're really you're taking it upon yourself that's maybe first order of business let's let's start going there heading in that direction in in year 1 you know, it definitely was one of the aspects, as I said, that attracted me. And I think Sarah has the things that I've learned through my career are necessary. Um, she does have a core category that um, she does better than anybody else, in my opinion. She has footwear as her core, and that is so incredibly important. All lifestyle brands have that. She's also an incredibly talented designer and artist in her own right. And then I think one of the things that's key is she is both aspirational and relatable. People want to be like Sarah, but they also really feel like she could be their best friend because she's genuine and authentic and real. And I think that's a 
an important mix in it. So no, I didn't walk in the door and think, let's charge towards lifestyle. There were a lot of other um, fires to be put out and opportunities to be chased. But as the opportunities presented themselves, it felt really comfortable to lean in there. It felt comfortable to go into scarves. As Sarah said, we did a collaboration in stationery this past fall. Um, we just launched last week a puzzle. And all of those things came very naturally to Sarah and therefore came very naturally to the design and the production process. Uh, so I found in, in growing a lifestyle brand, you can, if you start to push it, the customer will move away from it. Uh, and it's become, it's always been natural for Sarah and the things we've chosen and have been natural for Sarah and for the brand, and the customer is responding positively. Nice. What's been the evolution in terms of sales uh, between categories, whether it was largely heels uh, in 2019 to uh, maybe, I don't know, scarves are taking up or making up 20% of sales? How would you describe it, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I strangely, and Mary can probably speak to this better than I can, but um, heels or pumps were still our st- top selling category in 2020. Um, there's not a real explanation for that other than maybe women buy with their their hearts more than their heads sometimes. Um, you know, we did launch categories. Luckily, our best selling style already was a flat. Um, so that really lent itself to work from home quite well. We launched things like house shoes or house slippers that have done really well for us. And um, right now, you know, when we launched these new categories, we wanted to do it in a really thoughtful sort of limited edition way, really test the waters and make sure that um, that there was a fit uh, from our existing customer base. And, and we've seen that. So now we're increasing our orders. But we really started with a with a smaller test. Yes. Is category expansion the key to kind of getting your foot in the door of a new category? Are you always testing it out with collaborations? Is that a step one? Or what's been your collaboration strategy to date, Mary? The brand is always so smartly gone after collaborations that are um, exactly right for our aesthetic and right for our customer. I, we're highly selective about who we work with. In some cases, um, it is best to collaborate. So when we thought about stationery, what company to better work with than Crane & Co, who have been experts in stationery for over 100 years. Um, but when it came to something like scarves, because we're already manufacturer 100% in Italy, and Sarah had relationships with many of these factories, it made sense to do that vertically. So we're really choosing um, by category what makes sense for us as a brand and what's going to make the best possible possible product for our customer. Yes. Mary, you mentioned, uh, I guess, the customer loves Sarah. Sarah, do you feel, (laughs) um, have you felt more pressure? Have you been uh, doing more live streams, more uh, Instagram lives? Have you been out there more in the last year? Um, And yeah, is the customer really demanding that? Yeah, it's it's interesting because although I've spent less one-on-one time with customers, I feel like I've gotten to know my customer even better in the last year. Um, We've definitely, you know, towards the beginning of of the pandemic, um, focused a lot on sort of what content we could create for our customer that would bring sort of moments of joy, you know, in a time when it felt like the world was sort of falling apart, it can be difficult to say, well, how do I, you know, talk about um, luxury shoes where it doesn't feel frivolous. And um, we sort of had to come to the realization that, you know, while luxury shoes might not be the most important thing in the world right now, it's our thing. And um, 
you know, what can we sort of talk about? How can we bring value to our customer base? And a lot of that was, you know, me creating content at home, gardening with my mother and doing gardening toy tours or um, baking or, you know, puzzles, so many things that um, all of our customers were, were sort of doing at that time. And then, you know, on top of that, I kind of really wanted to understand, um, you know, for those customers that were coming back and shopping again and again. And um, Mary very smartly did a ton of customer research when um, she first got here and she did a, a, a quite impressive customer survey that I'll let her speak to. But um, I also spent the time doing phone calls with customers. So I did about a, just over 100 phone calls in 2020 with, oh with customers. Um, I had my CS team do a mix of, um, you know, top top customers, um, people who, uh, you know, had maybe had one or two purchases that we wanted to get to that next level, and then some lapsed customers to really understand, you know, why hadn't they been back in a little while. Um, and I, I just learned, you know, really a ton, a ton that way. You know, I think that um, something that surprised me and got me really, really excited was that uh, we were acquiring a lot of first-time luxury customers. I always knew that we had this customer that, you know, was buying Manolo and Hermes and um, had discovered Sarah Flint and this incredible value and quality and comfort. But um, I think I hadn't realized that we were starting to get this customer who this was maybe their first purchase into a brand or a product like this. And they're incredibly impressed and amazed by even everything from the packaging to, um, you know, to the padding on the insole. And I think that that has become a really interesting opportunity because that's a very, very sticky customer, someone who hasn't experienced this level of quality before. Yes. Did they share? I mean, obviously, when they got the product, they were impressed. Did they share what um, clinched the initial sale? I mean, so it's interesting online, right? Because you, um, you know, I think people, they they have heard, primarily we, we get also a lot of customer acquisition through word of mouth, through brand ambassadors, through existing customers. And so I think people had heard about the quality, the craftsmanship and the incredible comfort. And I think that what, you know, really clinches the sale for them is the fact that they try it on and they're like, oh my God, this looks like a beautiful stiletto, but it actually fits and feels incredible. And we really see that um, our customers are not just coming back and purchasing again and again, but they're purchasing the same shoe again and again. Mary, what's the stat about our um, Perfect Pump and Natalie purchasers? It's so great. 50% of both our Natalie and our Perfect Pump purchasers come back and buy the Natalie and the Perfect Pump again in a different color or materialization. So it's just a phenomenal stats for two of our best-selling shoes. Oh my gosh, that's wild. Talk to me about what more you've come to know about the customer. Um, Yes, and where maybe the knowledge was not yet there. There wasn't enough time to survey. Um, Anyway, what did you come to learn, Mary? I would didn't think this when I started, but when we did our research, we did the first round of it in April. So a month after the pandemic started, and I had done a lot of customer research over the years, but when you send a survey out during a pandemic, everyone responds. Like I had never seen such a response rate and it was like a 15 or 20 minute survey. Um, So I think we learned how important quality is to them um, and that it is equally important to the comfort features. Uh, She's not willing to sacrifice one for the other. She's still wants it to look beautiful. Uh, And then just how many similarities there were between our customers, the magazines they read, the um, people they follow on Instagram, um, but also that they're all individual 
individuals. Uh, they all had you know specific things were, that were distinct to them. And it just helped us remember that we have to make things for the multitudes, just like there's so many different, Sarah's always sharing with me, so many different kinds of feet. Um, <laughs> women have, you know, feet are a very challenging thing to fit. And so we need to have a shoe for kind of every moment, every woman. And we have to be a brand that is also always uh, distinctive to who we are and not trying to fit into the mold of someone else because we're attracting a lot of different types of customers. They have some universalities. They have a very high standard for what they want to buy. Um, they want to be part of a small brand. They want to be part of a founder story in many cases, but then they have a bazillion needs outside of that. So we can't ever just look at customer to customer. We really need to be true to who we are as a brand um, and then make sure we're doing everything we can to delight her. Yes. In terms of staying true to the brand, Sarah kind of mentioned, um, I guess, the touchiness that comes with, uh, I guess, marketing a high heel during a pandemic. What did you, what was your approach, Mary, or did you kind of um, lead a fine tuning of the marketing speak, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, I think Sarah had always done such a phenomenal job to be of being genuine because she was doing it all. Um, so it really wasn't this whole conversation of how me sitting here saying, how do we be true to ourselves? Because she was writing the copy and she was taking the photography. Uh, and I think that the pandemic in, in some ways gave us an opportunity to come back to that because we weren't able to have photographers and models and all that. Sarah was really creating all that content. Um, and I think for me, it was putting, taking some time to lay the groundwork so that when we do become a huge brand, we have that foundation codified and written down. Um, one of my experiences over the years as a marketer is, is you get further and further away from that founder who's doing all of that work herself. You start to lose the thread of the story. And I wanted to make sure that story was very clear and codified so that as we grow to having multiple copywriters and multiple graphic artists, uh, that that story is able to stay consistent. And so we spent a lot of time this year doing that. And I know that it's going to be um, payoff in the future. Yes, Sarah, I love that the hands on approach. I was on your Instagram today and looking at your Instagram stories, which I mean, never seen such beautiful Instagram stories in my <laughs> life. Like, <laughs> they're beautiful, each one and you just keep scrolling. But um, yeah, tell me about um, how you're leading content um, and the content team behind you. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're a pretty, pretty lean and, and fiery uh, content team. We had a have a, a social media manager and um, a graphic designer and um, and a copywriter and um, a marketing manager. But we all work, you know, really closely together in conjunction. And, um, you know, I think what we're always just talking about is what are our customers doing now? Where are they now? What are they focusing on? And you sort of asked, well, how do you sell, you know, high heels uh, right now when it feels like most people are wearing flats or slippers or, or things like that? And, you know, it really just came down to thinking about and talking to our customers and thinking about, well, when are we wearing heel high heels right now? Maybe it's, you know, doing a date night at home or something like that um, and sort of showing people, how we could sort of dress up and make ourselves feel a little better in that moment. Yes. Where is she engaging with you? What channels are you focused on? Is it mostly Instagram and, and Facebook? Are there others I would not 
It would surprise me. Uh, Pinterest has been a big one for us uh, this year. Our woman is definitely a pinner um, and a planner. So that's been a cool one. And we've started, you know, a lot of the content that we've created, we've started started putting it into more Pinterest form, sort of like how-to things that people can repin. So that's been really, really interesting. I'm mainly having conversations with customers on Instagram or, you know, phone calls that I set up. Um, But it's just, you know, over DM is just such an easy way to sort of have get a lot of answers very quickly. I've been definitely taking advantage of the Instagram polls a lot this year and doing a lot of sort yeah. of like sneak peeks of, of different designs and things to come or even, you know, I'm working on a, a boot for um, for next fall and I had like two different outsoles that I was talking about. And so I showed both and I like immediately it became very clear which one everybody wanted. So that was a really, right. really great thing to see as well. Nice. What are you finding on Pinterest? Is it more for awareness and she or is she clicking through? Is she shopping from Pinterest? She's shopping. She's shopping and yes. she's planning. You know, she's creating yeah. sort of whole mood boards and worlds around the things that um, that she's doing. One of the things that can be challenging for a fashion brand on Pinterest is that if you deliver a collection monthly or even quarterly or seasonally, um, by the time she's ready to buy, which could be six months later, that's long gone or marked down. As Sarah said, 80% of her assortment is core. So if she pins a saddle Natalie in June, it's going to be available to her in October. And so it really allows us to, you know, whether it's planning for an anniversary or a wedding or just like your birthday list, um, we still have the assortment to support. Um, her ultimate purchase. So it's just, it's a great, and then Sarah just has a beautiful aesthetic. So anything, she does a lot of pinning that isn't even our product. And it's just these amazing creative worlds that people want to share in. Oh my gosh, I have to ask because I just, I think of Pinterest and I think of people planning their weddings. I know that there's a <laughs> wedding category now on your site. Yeah. Um, and I know, Sarah, you were recently married. Yeah. Congrats. Thank but tell you. Tell me about, yeah, is that, a, is that a growing, booming business, the wedding category? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, early on, I think, when actually about a month into the pandemic, uh, we were supposed to launch a very beautiful bridal perfect pump. And uh, Mary and I just sort of looked at each other and thought, oh my God, how are we going to do this? I mean, I'm in the middle of rescheduling my wedding. I don't want to put this in front of all these brides who are you know, feeling so badly right now. And um, what I ended up doing was just writing a really personal note to all of my customers that was both on Instagram and email and on our blog and sort of talking about um, what I was going through. And, you know, the fact that we were all going to have our special days, you know, at some point, and it'll be even more special then because you'll be able to be with, you know, the friends and family that you've missed. Um, and that just really, really resonated with people. And um, sort of along the way, I kept updating people and telling them what I was planning. And then eventually I ended up doing something just with my family, um, just with our families. And um, I did everything very sort of DIY and um, put all of that on all of our social content. So everything from hand making the place cards to doing the flower arrangements, all excellent Pinterest content. Um, and, And people were really excited and sort of went crazy for it. And I think even now, if you look at you know, the things that are happening, people are doing sort of micro weddings or city hall weddings or things like that. And they're sort of the only things you can plan right now, right? You've figured out a way how to do it safely. Um, and, and, and those are the moments we have to look forward to. So I think that, you know, that's why people are really, really looking at, at wedding and, and getting excited. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Sarah, I think the last time 
Maybe I've seen you since then, but one of the last times I saw you was at the opening of, or sorry, IRL, was at the opening of your uh, pop-up in Lower Manhattan. So I got to hear what the plans are. Uh, First of all, what was your experience with that pop-up? It's now closed. Yes. So that pop-up was the highlight of my life. No. It was was, spectacular. It was spectacular. (laughs) It was just, you know, it addressed all of the issues that I had ever had with, you know, in-person retail. And, you know, I really, Mary and I are constantly talking about, you know, how do we redefine what it means to be a luxury brand? And so many of the, the things that I had felt were challenging when you went into a luxury boutique were, you know, the sort of coldness and stiffness and, you know, the fact that there was usually a guy at the front door with a suit that you felt like, oh gosh, if I touch anything, he's going to think I'm stealing or something like that. And so, you know, when it came to building out that pop-up, I really wanted to create an environment that people just wanted to come in and stay and didn't feel pressure in any way. So it was really, it was set up like my living room. You were offered tea and cookies upon arrival. Um, We we partnered with Maman, who make the best chocolate chip cookies. Um, (laughs) We worked with all female founders who um, helped us outfit the pop-up shop. So for furniture, and we worked with Royal Copenhagen for the China and, um, you know, had amazing events. But we also had um, two sort of fit walls. So they were guide shops, but you could basically just grab something off the wall and try it on. You didn't have to ask a sales associate. And um, growing up working in retail myself, I often found that, you know, one of the the barriers to entry is feeling like you're bothering a sales associate and they have to, you know, the shoe room is always upstairs or downstairs. You're making them run for something. And, um, and, and then, you know, feeling bad if you don't purchase. So our whole thing was grab something, try it on. We'll get you as many things as you want. You know, we can go downstairs and get more stuff for you. Um, we'll write down all of your sizes and what you've tried on, and we're going to email it to you with a code so um, you can purchase it online and so that we could track it back to figure out that that conversion came from the pop-up. And um, we found so many more people buying just because they were trying the shoes on. And for us, because it's so much about fit and comfort and feel, that's all you have to do. You have to get people to put them on their feet. Um, and so that was just huge for us. And, you know, Mary can speak a little bit to our, our planning for future retail. I think we're being very cautious about it right now, but I think there will be lots of opportunities in the future. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, you forgot to also mention that there, there was a shoe feet station. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And that was that was the other Hello. thing. Exactly. It was so that you would try on the shoe and take a picture of it and share it, which was very important. Um, and that was the only goal, not to get you to pur- purchase, but to, to take a shoe fee. And then, oops, you tried on the shoe. They're so comfortable. How could you leave them behind? Right on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mary, the future of physical retail. You see the future. I do. Absolutely. I mean, I, one of the things that it, I interviewed during the pop-up, so I actually visited the pop-up um, unbeknownst to, to everyone. I don't think Sarah and I had met yet. Uh, and um, I was blown away. I, I remember actually thinking this is new luxury. Sarah is setting what luxury is going to be. And I was also then when I met her blown away by the metrics of what they achieved in that store in 10 weeks. I mean, truly unbelievable for New York Soho retail, which I was familiar with. So I do see a future. I think that, you know, we were 
were lucky in that we did not have a um, physical retail strategy that we needed to revisit. We had a pop-up strategy um, that we could put on hold. But as soon as we feel right taking it off hold, we will because the brand has such a tactical aspect to it. Um, you want to see all of the amazing fit innovation that Sarah has put into each and every shoe and feel the quality that you get with 100% Italian manufacturing. And I believe that the experience that she laid out in that store, which I mean, it, talk about DIY, the entire team put that store together themselves. It, I do know that we can scale that and grow that and, and build a team around it and really be able to bring um, our concept to markets around the country and around the world. Yes, obviously, direct to consumer is where it's at now. Do you see ever a, a marketplace, a wholesale partner? Is this uh, coming ever? Like, anyway, do you just feel like we're going to stay put? This is working. Mary, I'll ask you. <laughs> sure. Um, I would say we we strongly believe in direct to consumer and think that it is the the way of the future for now. I mean, so to your put to your uh, question, yes, we are going to stay put in DTC, but that doesn't mean it's going to be our, our sole distribution channel. During the pandemic, um, Sarah had launched a brand ambassador program very early on, and it was really a way of building community with women around the country um, who were often customers and um, frequently also um, micro influencers in their town that they lived in. Um, and they would, um, you know, talk about our shoes in exchange for shoes. And, and it was an opportunity for them to get new shoes and for us to be able to spread the word of Sarah Flint in a really genuine way, because we may not always um, want to, to see an ad and, and go and buy from it. But if someone in our neighborhood who we think is super stylish talks about um, a new shoe that is both beautiful and comfortable, we're likely yeah. to give it a try. And that was this lovely community program. And during the pandemic, it has taken off um, and it has become its own channel of business. And so we really do believe that there are other distribution um, channels that we can innovate and pilot. Um, we have another one that we're, it's a little bit of a secret. We're not ready to speak about it yet, but we're pretty excited um, that is that is along those lines. So I don't think we think that it's DTC or nothing. Um, yeah. We think that there's a lot of ways to reach consumers. We believe in physical retail. We believe in peer-to-peer -peer selling like brand ambassador. We definitely believe in e-commerce. Um, and I think right now we're experimenting. And that's one of the things that I just so enjoy about working with Sarah. She is always willing to try something. Um, yeah. And then when it works, we just we just run that direction. Um, and if it doesn't work for some reason, we figure it out and, and move forward. And I think there are some, you know, uh, wholesalers that are really being innovative right now, too, and reexamining their business models. I think Nordstrom is a great example of one that has early on figured out a way to work with traditionally direct-to-consumer brands. Um, so I imagine that will only continue to evolve, and we are right there and ready to work with them once it <laughs> makes sense for, for both parties economically. For sure. Well, I wanted to dig in. I'm working on a story today, which it will be live by the time this <laughs> comes out, but it's on um, an emerging uh, company called Olive that that specializes in, uh, yeah, they're solving, I guess, the packaging problem, which I know you guys are teaming with them as well. Um, yes. I saw on your site, you know, there's a section dedicated to diversity and inclusion. There's a section de dedicated to sustainability. Talk to me about the importance of, first of all, leading with values and really putting it out there and uh, for the customer to see. Uh, Sarah, I'll let you take that. Yeah, I think um, 
That's one of one of the amazing things about uh, bringing Mary on as well for me is that I've always had big ideas and big values um, in terms of where I want things to be, but struggled with putting the right metrics in place and the right game plan. And I think this year has really brought, you know, this conversation to the forefront for us and made it um, made us really, really sit down and say, okay, how are we going to integrate these things within our regular OKRs or bit business metrics and not just make them sort of like a side thought or, um, you know, really just a part of a part of what we're doing. And so um, one of the things that we've been working on together is really putting together a game plan, talking about where we are today and where we want to be next year or the year after that, um, and thinking strategically about how we get there. Nice. Before we jump into 2021, how would you describe 2020? I'm hearing a lot that it's kind of a <laughs> skip over year, like you don't count it. We'll look at we'll just look ahead and not talk about it. But anyway, in terms of project, uh, I guess how, how the year played out in terms of projections, maybe. Um, yeah. What, what's your take on 2020? <laughs> I'll I'll step in and say that I think looking back when we get on the other side of this, we're going to look back and say it was the year we built the foundation to really scale. Um, nice. I'm not thankful for 2020 <laughs> in any in any way, uh, but it allowed us to put. I always say to Sarah that we were trying to build a, sc a skyscraper on a foundation the size of a penny, and yeah. we've now built the proper size foundation. We have the processes in place, we have the systems in place, we have the people in place, um, and we were able to. Have have a momentary pause um, and be able to, to ensure that we had the right foundation. I think for us, from a financial perspective, we're incredibly proud of where we ended the year. Um, we, we did a lot of things incredibly quickly that uh, would have taken other companies much longer um, to be able to shore up our, our business prospects. We really solidified who we are as a brand so that we could grow in an amazing way in the future. Um, and we were able to do that without having to resort to promotions. Um, we did the same number of promotions in 2020 as we had in 2019. We only, nice. we only go on sale twice a year. We only went on sale twice a year. Um, yep. And I think we're really proud of that. And I think, you know, that will help us in the future um, very, very much. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to pull back and lay the foundation, what a perfect year to <laughs> focus on the on internal things. Um, yes. But yeah, do you, obviously you have, um, big goals for the company, like, period. Is this kind of a five-year plan? Is this year by year? Like, how do you even, yes, go about that? Do, is there a five-year plan in place, I would say? There is absolutely a five-year plan. I think anytime that you're uh, building a company, you have to look uh, five years out. Uh, we also look at each quarter. And I think that was a really important part of saying, what do we need to achieve as an organization this quarter, um, next quarter, and constantly be revisiting those metrics, whether those are things, our metrics around uh, diversity inclusion, our metrics around sustainability, and our business metrics. Um, but I, I think in five years, um, the world will be a very different place, and Sarah Flint will be a very different place. Um, and we'll look back fondly at this conversation at the beginning of something huge. You know, I joined Sarah Flint because I believe we will be the next great American lifestyle brand. And in many ways, this year was the year that's going to um, allow us to take all of the momentum that Sarah had built um, to this point and now build the, the company that can take it forward. 
I mean, that is exciting. I feel like I'll be like, I know you, I knew you way back when. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. So can you tell me what you're most excited for uh, in 2021? Oh, most excited for in 2021. I think um, I'm excited. I mean, personally and work-wise, I'm excited for people to return to somewhat of seeing each other again and, and feeling like we can plan um, and not have the world turned upside down on a whim. Um, I think that we have a lot of really exciting product um, innovation yeah. things that are coming in the next year that I think are just perfect, perfect for right now. So that's what I'm excited for. And um, at some point, I'm excited to see my team again. I think that's yes. been, you know, one of the, the really the hardest things. And like we mentioned, Mary and I literally work together in the same office for a week. We have uh, team members that we have onboarded and never met in person. Um, so I, same. <laughs> it's just, it's bizarre. It's totally bizarre. Um, and you know, I think so much, I, I'm so impressed by everything the team has done and what we've built this year. Um, but I'm looking forward to that, really, the camaraderie of um, part of what's so amazing about, you know, building a brand like this is the relationships that you make and, you know, the pride that every single team member feels for what we're building. And, you know, I've seen that in so many cases, but it's it's hard to keep track of when you're working remotely. So, yeah, that's going to be, be major for go us. Go back to an office setting, the traditional office. Not in the same way, but we we will be working together in person uh, in different ways for sure in the future, and it's going to be yeah. exciting. Sarah, are you going to be building out your executive team further, more more C suite execs down the line this um, year? One or two potentially, but we have you know yeah. we brought in a CFO this year, um, and Mary or last year I suppose, um, and so we we're. We are in very good shape at this point. I feel like we've got the team now. <laughs> we've got the brand and the team to really scale. Um, and I feel like I've finally in the last year sort of – it's been a strange year for me because um, while lots of things were falling apart around us, I feel like the brand has never been in sort of a better place. And I've finally gotten back to focusing on the things that um, that really got me excited in starting the brand in the first place. Um and that's so much, you know, due to the partnership with Mary and some of our other executives. Right on. Well, congrats to you both. And while I, while we sign off, you have to tell me this spectacular shoe closet behind you. How many pairs are we talking? <laughs> I think, I mean, in this shoe closet, there's probably a, maybe 150, but I have way more than that. This shoe closet, she says. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag goals. Yeah. Goals. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, this was so fun. Thank you for chatting with me today. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. This is awesome. Thanks. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the Glossy Podcast. See you next week.